This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, the king of comfort has arrived. Go to tetherednation.com and check out the new Lockdown Saddle. Over the past two years, Tethered has tested and refined a new approach to their saddle lineup. The Lockdown Saddle takes the best-in-class features from the Phantom, like the Utilibridge, Comfort Channels, and included an expandable saddle body with their Lockdown Link construction to take saddle hunting to the next level of comfort. As if this wasn't enough, they developed Lockdown Haulers, which has a slightly rigid internal frame structure, so you can easily unzip, zip, and access haulers with one hand. And if you're a guy like me with no junk in your trunk and have issues with your saddle staying put while you're walking in to hunt, the Lockdown Modular Yoke solves this problem. Whether you're new to saddle hunting or an old tree climbing veteran, go to tetherednation.com for all your saddle hunting gear. Welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 355. Today, I'm joined by my good buddy and the original DIY traveling bow hunter, Eddie Claypool. So stay tuned. What's up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. And if you live anywhere around, I don't know, probably the Northeast anywhere, man, you had a uh, a soaker of a weekend, which was not great for uh, venturing out of doors and doing anything of that nature. I know my buddy Greg Litzinger, I was following along what he had going on on, on Instagram, and he was out and uh, literally weathering the storm, I guess. I didn't realize it, but I guess this was some t- type of tropical storm that was coming through had some pretty good wind of course a ton of rain i mean it literally rained two full days straight all day saturday all day sunday so needless to say uh my out of doors activities were were kind of squashed um but i did use that time uh to kind of get my shit together if you will um i had a bunch of stuff going on the past several weekends where i just wasn't just didn't have time to kind of gather all my stuff and 
be organized. I mean, I could have got out and done a hunt. It would have been a haphazard kind of shit show, if you will, because uh, I had nothing organized uh, to that point yet. You know, I uh, so what I did was I actually used that time to kind of get my things kind of in order. That way, whenever I'm going to hunt, because this weekend I think I'm actually going to go to the North Peace potentially. Um, fingers crossed. I think that's the that's the plan. So I had to kind of get the truck prepped. That way, you know, whenever I'm ready to go. I'm not scrambling trying to find like, where's this thing? Where's this thing? So it's like, I kind of have like the truck set up and I have like the trailer set up for, you know, longer trips. And, uh, so I kind of put everything I would need in the truck, in the truck, like the sleeping pad, you know, blow up mattress that I use and the sleeping pad that I use, um, you know, the, the, the blow up pillow, you know, some lantern lights, uh, a basically like go bag of like food that I can, you know, I don't have to think about. I know I have got food and coffee and whatever in that bag with a jet boil and I can just jump in and go and, I can basically survive for, you know, two to two to three days, you know, off of what is in the what is in the truck and kind of ready to go. So did all that. And then truthfully, it's like I was hoping that my my shoulder would be right to be able to just shoot my usual bow, um, which just isn't the case. And so I had to take some time and swap some things over from my usual bow to the bow that I dropped the poundage on. Uh, it was good to shoot in the backyard just like to for practice reps and stuff like that. But I didn't have anything kind of swapped over as far as like, you know, being able to carry my quiver and how I hang it in the tree and all that stuff. So I kind of needed to do that. Do a once over on the broadheads, just sharpen those things up, make sure they're they're good to go. Swap all my, man, what else did I do? I swapped out all the scouting stuff, trail camera related stuff, you know, from my, uh, from my pack. And uh, I had been tweaking my pack a little bit just to kind of get it set up for hunting, kind of been thinking about it. And I finally kind of did it last night and got everything on it. So I'm using the, the tethered fast pack and put a couple extra molly attachments on it to mainly just to kind of compartmentalize things. I mean, it's got a ton of space. Um, and that's kind of what I like about it is it's very kind of, uh, you know, one size fits all to a degree. And you can kind of add the pouches that you want to kind of create, you know, separation of like your gear to organize it, if you will. And so... There's some things that I don't use very often that I do like to always have with me. So I have like a small pouch that I have like all that stuff in, which is like, you know, rarely ever gets used. Um, and maybe I'll make a video of how I have the pack set up. And then on the back, you know, attached to the tethered pack, which is attached to the fast pack, I have two, two Molly attachment pouches. And one is to carry my, um, my camera. So my handy cam that I use to film. And then the other one is to uh, hold the GoPro that I take whenever I'm, you know, filming when I'm in a, um, when I'm in a tree and it just makes it really easy to get in and out of those because they're on the outside of the bag as opposed to having to dig through the inside of the bag to find any of that stuff. So that's really what I did this weekend was kind of try to get everything set up and ready to rock and roll that way this weekend or during this week, if I can get out after work a day, you know, I can just kind of zip out and everything's ready to rock and roll. But with that, we're going to go ahead and just jump into today's show. I have a super cool show for you guys today. Uh, I have my good buddy, Eddie Claypool on. If you're not familiar with Eddie, Eddie is I always kind of say he is the the goat of DIY traveling bow hunters, at least in my opinion. Um, I've had him on in the past. It's been maybe two years or maybe even three years since I've had him on. Um, but Eddie's been traveling, doing DIY bow hunts since like the late 70s. I want to think, I think he said like 79 was the first year that he traveled, you know, DIY and just started, you know, going wherever to hunt. I think it started in Colorado chasing elk. And that's really, you know, what Eddie's passion has been. Uh, for you know a long time uh, to the tune of like 40 years and he's also killing giant whitetails all over the country as well uh, you know during his uh, hunting career and so we talk a little bit about that but the reason why I had Eddie on and 
beyond, you know, him being just a wealth of knowledge is he's at a different kind of point in his life um, as a bow hunter. And we're all going to get there at some point. You know, I want to say Eddie is uh, maybe in his mid sixties now. I want to, uh, I want to say roughly. Um, and he's, you know, past several years has come to the realization that the way he likes to do things um, and how he has gotten after in the past, so to speak, um, isn't necessarily the way that he can continue to do it, uh, at least at the same, at the same level. And so he's going through this kind of transformation or this evolution now of kind of reframing his priorities and, you know, what gets him excited. He still loves to try to, you know, to, to go out and get after it as much as he can. You can still hear the passion in his voice for it, but it's also kind of met with the, um, the the reality of what his his body might allow him to do at this point and so he's making adjustments to be able to fulfill those um those desires that he still has uh to go out and grind and get after it but also being kind of smart about it and and, and setting goals and parameters that are that are rooted in you know where he's at in his in, in his hunting journey and so you know and eddie eddie's seen you know hunting the hunting landscape change over 40 years too and so we talk a little bit about that uh as well um but Eddie's Eddie's a gem, man. He's one of the good guys. He's one of the best uh, as far as bow hunting goes in my book. Um, but also just a quality person um, and as a straight a shooter as you will ever find. So hope you guys dig the episode as much as I enjoyed the conversation. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a gentleman that we've had on in the past. He's one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, is a guy that I've I've watched, uh, have read from, have had the you know privilege to have him on the show in the past, have exchanged text messages with him, which I really appreciate uh, whenever we get a, get a chance to text. And uh, he is what I kind of refer to as the uh, the original kind of DIY bow hunter, and it's none other than Mr. Eddie Claypool. How's it going, Eddie? Fine. Thank you for having me. I'm privileged to be here. Well, hey, the privilege is all mine, man, and I, and I mean that sincerely. It's uh, you know, being able to read your articles through the years and um, you know, I know we have a mutual friend in Tony Peterson. It's kind of how right. I got uh, got hooked up with you and, and got to know you. Um, right. but you're just as uh you're just as as accommodating and willing to share information over text message. So I've just really appreciated, you know, being able to text you, especially things about Kansas or whatever and you've always got a little bit of a uh, I always leave our text conversations with a little like pep in my step because you, you you've yeah. always got like a positive outlook of like hey you just keep getting after it buddy you're on the right path <laughs> yeah yeah that's been my secret to success people always think that you have some uh, you know magic formula but at the end of the day it's mainly perseverance and uh, accruement of savvy over time just being out there and doing it you know I know the modern world has got a lot of shortcuts nowadays to help things happen a lot quicker but at the end of the day you know I, i'll take my uh, time in the woods mm-hmm. and match it with any of these you know high-tech guys anymore <laughs> yeah well yeah because i think you know it's like I, I dabble in a little bit of both you know i guess to to be sure. to be honest but there's still you know even even with that being said you know there's mm-hmm. still things that you just can't like you just can't get without being in being in the woods. I, I think what right. what it has done for me at least is it has maybe taken some of the, like the guesswork out of things when I get to maybe somewhere new to where I, I know the areas I, I really don't want to look at, you know, that I'm right. mark them off or whatever the case is, right? Just from an e-scouting yeah. standpoint. And even trail yeah. cameras, if you go down that path, it's like I hang enough cameras in an area I can qualify if there's a quality of 
you know, animal in the, in that area, just generally speaking, that makes me want to yeah. be there or not, you know? And so I don't waste time in those areas, but the areas that I'm going to hunt and need to understand, it's like, you always have to have that first kind of person perspective. Yes, absolutely. I mean, you can only probably imagine what it was like for me because the lion's share of my accomplishments were done from late seventies to, oh, within about 10 or 15 years ago, I started mm-hmm. slowing down some and, I didn't have access to any of this stuff. No, you know, Mm e-scouting, no uh, Google Earth, no um, OnX, no GPSs, you know. Mm -hmm. And it was just a matter of, you know, I can't put it into words. It's like yesterday I was driving around in Tulsa and I was relying on my phone to guide me everywhere I go. (laughs) And the thing I knew, I realized that I had completely lost touch with my surroundings. Mm-hmm. I looked up a place I'd driven for 50 years and I was lost. I didn't yeah. even know where I was at. And it's almost like nothing beats first person perspective of, you know, a bow hunter getting out there, humping and getting it uh, for years and learning it. Uh, savvy is indispensable. It's mm-hmm. indispensable. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that almost goes with, uh, you know, with any, with anything, right? It's like, yes, it is. Yes. Whether you're a bow hunter, a football player, a jujitsu right. practitioner, whatever it is, if you, if you don't have, there's a certain amount of savvy that will, that might make up for, you know, other inadequacies that you might just right. not have. Like, you know, right. you know, for example, a, a, a good buddy of mine, he, he's a heck of a hunter. He kills big right. deer. And, uh-huh. but he will be the first one to tell you that he's not a great archer. Right. You know, he's like, I'm not a good shot. He's like, if you put me on a, a course, a, yeah. he, he shoots terribly. You know what I mean? Right. He's like, and when I say terribly, I mean, he's, he's okay, but he's, you know, no one's going to mistake him for an Olympic, you know, archer. That's and, me. I'm <laughs> continually about my bow shooting and I'm a, I'm a slob, but I just, I get shots that slobs can make. <laughs> right. Know? That's what he does. Yeah. yeah. He's like, I don't have to be that good when they're at five yards, you know? Exactly. I mean, I'm telling you, there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. And the guys that are probably at the very, very top of the power right now are the guys that use all the elect, um, electronic stuff to its max. Then they also use their uh, time and their money to the max. And then they go and on, to ice it. They put the uh, hardcore time in the woods in night. Those are a lot of different ingredients and you can get pretty good by just applying, you know, 30 or 40, 50% of any of the above. But when you put them all together, other than, you know, there's ways we all know nowadays, there's ways to shortcut success on big whitetails. Um, mm-hmm. If you can get the right property bought mm-hmm. and groom it and electronically monitor it and babysit, a hunt or two in it, you're going to kill a big deer every year. And back in my day, I didn't know any way to consistently kill top end deer every year, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, they mastered it. Finally, right. um, it's a combination of money, um, technology, mm-hmm. and really actually the time factor didn't amount much anymore to these top end people that go kill these, you know, bucks off elite properties, you know? Yeah. They just may hunt one or two or three times a year and kill a Boone and Crockett, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the one thing with, you know, hunting public land. It's like I always say, it's like, man, yep. you know, if you're a regular working Joe, you know, maybe you yep. take a a week off. You know, I'm pretty lucky. I get to go, you know, I'll take like two weeks off usually in, in November, sure. you know, and go somewhere. Sure. 
But, you know, even still, it's like, you know, if time is the great kind of elixir, you know, for, for, yeah. for bow hunting, you know, I was talking to, do you know the fellows from uh, the hunting public? Do you know Zach and those guys at all? I don't know them personally. Okay. No, but I've watched their stuff and I, I'm really impressed by, by them. They, they pull off some stuff that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I did Aisle, yeah, you know? the uh, I had Zach on one time. He and I were talking, and you know, he, we were kind of talking about the the time factor of you know, you know, he's like, man, you know, time. Like, what people don't really realize is that you know, you can do as much scouting as you want to do, and you know, and and have as much boots on the ground. He's like, but there's just no replacement for that time in the field during the season. And the the example right. he gave me was, he said between this was a, I think it was two seasons ago and they had kind of like, you know, a down year for them where they just didn't have, they yeah. didn't fill as many tags as they typically do. And, right. um, and he said himself, he said between actually hunting, like carrying a bow, right. Or, a, mm -hmm. or a gun during gun season, he's right. like, and being behind the camera and filming someone, he's like, right. I was, he, he was in the field for a hundred days that year. Yeah. He said, yeah. and out of those hundred days, I think he said he was only part of two, two tags being filled. He's wow. like, he's yeah. like, and that's, probably pretty average like you know for the normal yep. everyday guy that's going out there and doesn't have like you know all right. the days in the world it's probably a two percent chance you know what i mean it, he was like and he's like and look at me i have like all the time in the world to do it he's like and still you know exactly only yeah. two times well, that's me i mean people have no idea how much time i put in and you know i don't know what to say other than once again it's a combination of a whole bunch of things got to come together and if you can wrap your mind around you know the fact that some of the things that anybody can provide, I mean, maybe you don't have enough money. Maybe you don't have enough uh, vacation. Maybe you don't have the greatest property, whatever. But if you get out there like you and spend two weeks in November and you, you've done your homework ahead of time by scouting out and getting your stands ready and put up and everything and get back in the most remote places that the public has to offer and then top it off by having your rear end in that stand from dark till dark mm -hmm. Uh, you're going to kill a good deer. I mean, bl uh, blind sow finds an acorn once in a while. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I, I think it's just looking at the resources you have. And, and, and to your yep. point, it's like if you have, yep. if you know you're limited on time, limited on money, limited on these things, right? Well, what's the, yeah. what's the thing that you that you have more of that you can supply, right? And so that might be, well, I don't have a bunch of time concentrated where I can take two weeks or a month off during hunting season. But, you know, maybe I'm not married, right? Or maybe I don't have any kids yet and I can, yes. I can scout every weekend because I'm off on the weekends. Yep. You know yep. what I mean? So it's like, then you put your time in during the scouting kind of portion of things. That way, whenever hunting season comes, it's like, man, you're, you're strategically striking spots. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, it's just like, you know, I managed to hunt being married with children, which ain't easy. I mean, mm -hmm. honestly, that's another ingredient. And I had a job that was totally flexible. I worked a construction work all my life where I could work about eight to nine months a year. Like, you know, maybe mm -hmm. I might work seven days a week a lot, but then I'd get um, off work for three or four months in the fall where very few people have right. the ability to do that. So a lot of people look at top end success and they just don't really understand that it's, I mean, I hate to say this, but for the average guy, the average guy, the working class stiff that gets two weeks, maybe a year to bow hunt and he's got a family and, a, you know, everything, world class, world class success shouldn't be in your head, really. Just right. define your success. Maybe kill a Pope and Young deer off public land one a year, maybe. That could be 
top end success. Uh, I know when that used to be my goal was to kill one Pope and young deer a year. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Even, so, even, even when I head out to Kansas, you know, and, uh-huh. and I love, man, that's, that's become like my favorite spot to, to right. hunt. Just it's, uh, I, I've done it pretty much all on the ground since I've been going out there now. Um, wow. And okay. that's, that's kind of the way I, I prefer to do it, but going oh, out man. there, like my standards are really, you know, I'm like one thirty or better and I'll never kill anything bigger. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was like, cause that, that gets me fired up, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. you know, and I've had a couple of really good opportunities. I know I texted you and I said, I had like a story that like from there, so I'll just, right. since we're talking about it now, I'll, I'll mention it. So I, I glassed yeah. this good deer. I went up this draw, uh-huh. uh, the second day I was there, I glassed the whole first day I was there. Right. It was a piece, it was a piece that I'd hunted the year prior and I kind of knew what the deer wanted to do in this area to a degree, like how bucks were going to cut does out and stuff like that. And so I watched the first day just to make sure what I had seen the year before was still what was happening. Right. And it it was, so I went to the head of this draw this, the next day and he got across this creek bottom and, and so there's always deer in that area because I I actually had a really good encounter the year before with a really good buck in that creek bottom on the last day of my trip that just, I got winded. Uh, I was at like 15 yards. I was at full draw and like thermals just dropped right to where he was at. And that was all she wrote. And, um, so I knew kind of, so I was like, I need to go in with a little bit of gray light. I was like, cause I want to be able to see, cause I don't want to be blowing deer out of this bottom running up through the CRP up toward the head of that draw where I know where these deer want to be, you know? So that's, so that's what I did. I got in real quiet. And it's this CRP, this draw is going up like an embank is going up. It's a ridge, you know, in my country, uh, we would call it ridges. I know it's not really a ridge, uh, but it's just, you know, it's an incline. And yes. uh, the draw is going up it and uh, it kind of makes a T with the creek bottom. And uh-huh. that draw is lined with a bunch of cedars all the way up. And it's all CRP, like all around it. And then there's private off the backside. And there's just a big right. CRP quagmire that's down over the other side. And that's where yeah. I had imagined they were probably bedded, but it's so thick you can't walk get into that stuff. So right. there's a little locust thicket. And so I went the second day and I was like, I'm going to go to the head of this draw, but I'm going to kind of take it slow and I'm going to glass my way up. Long story short was I saw some tails flick threw some glass up and boom, I saw at the time, I didn't really know how big he was. I knew he was a really good deer and I wasn't really sure, but I knew he was a shooter. And uh-huh. so I tried to snort wheeze him in and rattled at him. He was maybe 150 yards away or something like that. And he was with two does and I figured he was probably going to cut her out and that was probably about, you know, five days from now he might come back around, you know, cause he, right. he's probably right. a day or two from breeding her and he's going to lock down for three days and then he'll be back. Right. So I bided my time, I ended up having an encounter with another really good deer that I got caught drawing at like 15 yards again, which was terrible. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, and, um, and so the, uh, I think, yeah, it was the last day of the, of the trip. I went, I kept keeping tabs on this spot. Like every day I would kind of circle it a couple times and glass it to just make sure I couldn't see embedded somewhere where I could put a sneak on. And, right. uh, but the last day I was like, he should be off that doe at this point. He should be out back, you know, prowling, looking yep. for another doe. So I was like, I'm going to go to the head of this draw in the dark and there's a ton of moonlight. So I didn't need a light or anything. I could see great. Right. I was like, I'm just right. going to get to those locust trees because that's where the deer kind of keep congregating and keep passing by. And I'm going to set up there underneath this right. locust tree, maybe build me a little brush blinding and, and set up. Right. So I go in and I walk the center of the draw up so I wasn't getting skylit. I didn't want to be in the center of the draw earlier in the week because I didn't want to drop my scent in there because that's they like right. running the that draw to keep from being skylit. So I was like, I'm going to walk straight up the center of that draw so I don't get seen. 
And I'm just uh-huh. going to basically cut out of this draw right to the tree I'm trying to go to, right? There you go, yeah. So I came up off this, out of this draw, and like you know, that that draw, that the embankment to get out of the draw maybe is 10 foot high, roughly. Right. So right. I, climb up, I climb up out of it, and I just kind of stop at the edge of the embankment, you know, just like I'm just going to listen to make sure I can't hear like deer moving or something like right. that before I kind of, because you know, I can see my tree like in the moonlight. It's, you know, and it's, right. it, it's maybe only 30 yards from me. Right. right. And I hear right. a grunt off to my right. And I'm like, well, there's a freaking deer there, you know, and I can't mm-hmm. see him, but it sounded like he was probably like 40 yards away. He wasn't like super close, you know? Right. And, and then all of a sudden I just saw like a little bit of movement and I could tell there was like a doe, but I couldn't tell what the other deer was, you know? And then I hear another grunt and it's sure. And it's a buck, you know, so there's two bucks uh. that are there and uh. I can't really see like where they're at. And then finally the one kind of, I could see his antlers and sure enough, it was the one that I was trying to kill. He was at oh. the, he was at the tree that I was going to, and we got to the same place at the same time. Yeah, and yeah. So I'm standing what? there. I don't have a stitch of cover. I'm yeah. in a ghillie jacket in, the, in this CRP, yeah. and right. I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm standing there for maybe like five minutes, and it's getting closer to daylight, and I'm like, man, it's gonna. And I have the draw behind me, so it's dark behind right. me, so he can't see. He can't see yeah. me. I think uh-huh. he thinks I'm just another buck because he hears that other buck that's just to my right. And I think right. he thinks there's two bucks coming in trying to get on his lady friend. Right. And so I can see him now moving around and I'm like, there's going to get to be too much daylight here soon. And if I'm where I'm at, I'm going to be like, I'm just, the opportunity is going to be blown, you know? So right. there was a small little sapling cedar tree off to my right, you know, maybe seven, eight yards. I was like, I'm going to move, but when I move, I'm going to grunt and shuffle my feet so I don't sound like a person walking. And I started shuffling my feet and grunting, and I got over to that tree and was able to kneel down behind it and get an arrow knocked without him, you know, you know, spooking. Right. So I'm, I'm watching him, and he's literally right behind that tree. I mean, at this point now, he's, you know, maybe 25 yards away. Wow. And, and he's still grunting at that other deer. Those does are grunting, and the, the buck that's down to the right, he's grunting too. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he just starts snort wheezing. Oh, wow. And I'm That's like, cool. yeah, and I'm watching him and he's snort wheezing in the direction of that other bucket first. Yeah. And he starts kind of like posturing and walking around. Now I had been up there previously and I knew there was a row of saplings, like locust saplings that were in there that were directly uh-huh. in line with the tree that I was trying to get to. And so right. I had enough light now at this point that I had, you know, what we'll call shooting light. You know what I mean? It's like, right. I can, I can get a shot off now at this point. I just need him to be, I need him to be close enough to where I know he's in front of those saplings. You know what right. I mean? Like, because I don't want a deflection. I can't see well enough to where I can see like exactly the saplings where they're at. And I didn't want a deflection. So I was like, I just need to get him to break the front of that tree I was trying to get to. Cause then I know I'm in the clear, you know? Right. Right. So I snort wheezed at him. He snapped his head around, snort wheezed, started stomping his foot and started just like walking right to me all puffed up. And oh, he, wow. He got to like, maybe 20 yards and stopped. And I wasn't sure that he was in front of those saplings. And then the, the doe got spooky and she walked away and then he followed her. And that was it. Oh, oh man. And I spent what? probably, Oh, I don't know. It, it was at least 10 minutes with that deer, oh. like within oh. between 20 and 25 yards for 10 minutes. That's amazing. That's what it's all about right there. Yeah. It, it had me fired oh. up. <laughs> oh, it got me excited. Just listen to it. I mean, you don't get a whole lot of intense, sessions like that 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 is worth going that's worth the price of admission that's it that's you know because my buddy was like are you mad and i was like not really i was like i mean you know aside from not getting an arrow off man i was like i got 
I mean, he put on a show for me. Absolutely. I mean, it depends on what your perspective is. If it's 100% about the kill, yeah, you'd have been mad. But if it's about the hunt, you couldn't have had a better one. Yeah, yeah. Well, the kicker yeah. was that that evening when I left, you know, I didn't see him again. I got in my truck and I'm leaving. And uh, I make a right out of this place and there's a, there's a cut cornfield that's there. Yeah. And he's pushing a doe. He's running right beside my truck, Eddie, maybe 10 yards in full gallop. I can oh. see him in my headlights and I could finally see like his rack really well. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. He's like in that full Kansas gallop, you know what I mean? Just getting after it in the field. And he was every, he had a bunch of kickers and junk on his base oh. bases and he was, yep. m- you know, mid one fifties, maybe one sixty, like 10 point. Hey, holy cow. That's a bruiser. Yeah. Man. Yeah. He's the reason why you go to Kansas, you know? Hey, Exactly. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, well, maybe, maybe, uh, did you get a tag again this year? Yeah, I did get a tag for the same unit. So I'm going to be headed back to that spot. Um, and I I won't spend my whole, the whole time there. I'm going to do, there's another, there's another couple areas I haven't checked out that are a little further away. So I'm going to bebop around. Now last year I was only there for a week. So I was kind of, I was cramming and I had two great opportunities, but this year I'm going for, for two weeks. So I'm going to probably do some bebopping around and, and head some to some places I hadn't checked out in the past two years. Well, I don't know where you're going to be and when you're going to be there, but I don't know if you know, do you by any, know by any chance that I, I bought land in Kansas? I did. I was actually going to ask you about that. Cause I, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that. I, I I'd heard you bought some, uh, bought some land. I wanted to know, I wanted to know how all that was, uh, uh how all that was going for you. Well, it's been a major learning experience because all of my life, I just been a, claw and dig guy to get a place to hunt between hunting mainly public and getting knocking on doors and stuff i've never had the privilege of having some privacy and you know and and this place we got is more of a end destination for me than Mm -hmm. i didn't look at it as just a place just to kill big deer Mm -hmm. um it's my retirement place it's my old man place i call it right got solitude like you've got you've got to experience it to believe it it's way out in the middle of the prairie from any roads it's in a nice 20 square mile area it don't even have a road in it <laughs> and uh, it's quiet and peaceful and it it's you know the deer part of it i'm learning uh mm-hmm. managing manipulating a little just trying to improve the habitat a little i've i've got cattle out of it i've quit burning it um mm-hmm. it's 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 you know picking up a little bit mm-hmm. uh it's mainly prairie it's probably 85 percent open grassland so mm-hmm. it's you know pretty much open country but it's yep. got wooded ravines and stuff and mm-hmm. uh, get a hold of me when you come out to kansas i want if you're anywhere near i want you to come by and nice. uh, hang out a day or something if you yeah. can yeah i would i would love to do that how's a when you say learning curve you know mm-hmm. what mm-hmm. a what's been the biggest uh adjustment from you know going from and i don't know how much you've hunted this this piece right. yet you know what i mean to this point maybe start there it's like how, how much have you hunted it or have you how much have you had an opportunity to hunt it i've had three autumns on it mm-hmm. and the first year of course was just a major mind melt of just learning it inside out and what how the deer work it and then of course like anywhere if you hunt it enough and stay at the same place you kind of you take a lot of the guesswork out of it as time goes by and you know how the deer like to move through it in the main places. So I've, I've hunted it three seasons and I've, I, I got into a bit of a, Oh, I don't know what you want to call it. A bit of a brain dead stage. The second fall, I had a buck that was about one thirty-five ish 
And I knew he was just a two and a half year old because I'd seen him the year before. And I, I was like, this deer is going to really blow up into something pretty nice. I'm, I'm, I'm going to look at him and see what he is the following year. Well, he went from like 135 to 165 or wow. better. He, nice. he might have been 170 gross. He had a few extras, but he blew up from a typical 10 pointer into a typical six by six. Hmm. And I, like wow i'm gonna let this deer go one more year if i can and then he will be a giant well what happened he ended up getting killed with a gun guy next mm. door to me yeah and you know i kind of am learning that that grow your own is a bit of a nutty idea right um, <laughs> if you own 10 square miles you might grow your own right in the middle of that and keep right. some of them yeah. but other than that I mean, I've got 320 acres out in the middle of the prairie, and them prairie bucks, you talk about roaming, they'll cover, they've been known to be seeing three or four miles apart in, in a yeah. day, you know. Yeah. And so I don't worry about growing my own anymore. I just kind of realized that my typical mature buck has got to be around 150 to 160. That's about what they are, you know. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be happy with that and uh, quit thinking about killing a, you know, one-in-a-lifetime deer. Right. And, so this year I've been, you know, cameraing it a little bit in the summer and I've got three or four I've had pictures of that are that typical, mm -hmm. you know, 140 to 160, you nice. know? Yeah. And so, so I'm, I'm curious cause I know, you know, I mean, you, you hunt, you hunt all season, you know, I, I, I know that. Um, right. but I know that, you know, when we talked about deer specifically and part uh -huh. of it was just a result of, you know, I know you hunted out a, a lot West, uh, you know, right. out West, um, you know, maybe when deer seasons were opening in the earlier part of deer seasons and stuff like that. Um, right. So a lot of your whitetail hunting, I know, has kind of always kind of occurred for a, a bunch of different reasons around the rut, right? Right. Um, right. But I'm curious now that you got a piece, yes. you know, is there – because so Tony, you know, we'll go back to our mutual friend Tony. Yes. For the past three years, he's been telling me, he's like – because he'll always ask me, like, we'll talk about the trips we have coming up. And we, we actually right. thought about doing a trip together this year but just didn't work out. Right. Um, and, uh, he's like, when are you going out this year? And I was like, I'm probably going to go back out in, you know, November. I was like, there's a specific date in November that I don't want to miss that, right. you know, that just has been really, really good. It's some buddies of mine has been really good for too. Uh -huh. And he always is saying, he's always telling me, he's like, man, he's like, I'm telling you, he was like that early, that early part of the season, that early October part of the season, he's like, you get them kind of getting lazy, going back to bed, you know, he's yep. like, you sit and you just glass all day. You move in for the, you watch him do it two or three days in a row. And then you just go in, you set up an ambush. He was like, he's like, I'm telling you, you, you might like that a little better. He's like, it might be a little bit more consistent for you. And so I always kind of go back and forth between like an early October Kansas hunt or a November Kansas hunt. So I'm curious with you now having your own piece, how much yes. you're going to hunt in October versus how, versus uh, November, considering that you used to hunt primarily, you know, the rut previously. Okay. Right. Yeah, I lived and died by the peak of the rut. You know, um, I used to not hardly really get serious till at least about the 5th, the 7th of November. I just, uh, but now it is a factor that, that I, I do consider. Um, I, I have deer that I could pattern early. There's no doubt about it. And especially in Kansas. Look, there, it's weird to me that some states, for instance, let's just say Kansas, you can bait, right? Right. Okay. So States is totally taboo, you know, and I, as a human being, as a bow hunter, I, I don't even like the thought of baiting. I wish it was outlawed in the entire country. Yeah. I'm probably going to get in trouble for saying that. Um, but, I'm right. I'm right there with you. I, I, I agree with you. 
I wish we could go back to no trail cameras. I wish we could um, no baiting. I mean, where people actually had to really 100% hunt, but of course, I'm an old timer. But anyway, I don't want to pattern a deer coming to a feeder or a food plot mm-hmm. early and kill it because I'm done then. It's Kansas's one buck state, you right, know, right. and and I don't have it in me anymore now to run all over the country all, you know, all of November to two or three states and hunt them. I just, I burned out on that a few years back. I, I done it for 20 or 30 years, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, yep. and I'm ready to settle down on my place. And what I get a thrill out of now is, yeah, I, I, as of right now, I've got some really good bucks, a couple that are coming to uh, Oak Tree every single evening. And I could <laughs> sit there and probably kill one. I almost know I could, <laughs> but I just don't get the fire in my gut to do that uh, for weird reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that intense rutting action and all the th- everything that goes on with it, you know, and the helter skelterness. And you never know when you're going to turn around and one that is a giant that you didn't even know existed that might right. live 10 miles away comes through that day, you know? Yep. And, uh, I, I'm just a rut guy. I love it. Um, yeah. I, I'm sure that early season patterning is a deadly tactic. Um, and I admire people that do it more on public land than anybody because, man, to pull that off on public land, you got to put in some time and do some scouting like Tony talked about, you know, watch them and yeah. watch them and watch them. And then you got to have some really good savvy to get in there and get in their little routine and mm-hmm. not let alert them, you know, but I don't myself have a big fire under my, uh, blanket for the uh, early season killing. Um, <laughs> because I, I want to set on my place all fall. I'm going to yeah. let bucks walk for weeks and weeks that are, deer i would normally kill in a heartbeat you know yep and but that's what it's about to me anymore i'm kind of into that last stage of outdoorsmanship i guess where i actually get heartbroken mm-hmm. at killing one of my deer off this place because they're not going to be strangers most of them and, and you feel it's weird i don't like it i've never in my life felt like i become accustomed to a deer does that make sense yeah yeah you know? and when you do and you know they're living on you 365 pretty much and then you go harvest one of them it's weird i sit down last year and just almost had tears run out of my eyes over killing one of them and i was just like this is weird i'm turning into a weirdo old age <laughs> is getting old ain't for wimps you got to be tough because there's stuff. i'm becoming emasculated you're not you're not tough anymore your emotions get the best of you you're you're just a, a basket case when you get my age. And uh, right. so you, it's, there's a good thing that there's one last stage you can go into, which is the just enjoy the mm-hmm. outing stage. And the killing part, it's not what drives me anymore. I, mm-hmm. I know that sounds cliche, but it's not. It's true. And if, if all you guys out there live long enough and bow hunt hard enough, and get to make it to mid 60s i'm betting you're going to know exactly what i'm talking about by that time yeah so i'm curious man i mean and it and it makes sense to me i i've not you know you're um you're you're senior to me we'll we'll, we'll say we'll say that I've, I've got some years uh you've got some years yeah. on me um mm-hmm. but i i get what you're saying because there was there was a deer in particular this is several years ago um yeah that uh you know i i we ha- I, we have a family farm back home it's a couple hours away I haven't oh, hunted. Okay. It, I haven't hunted in, in years. This is uh, yeah. in like central Pennsylvania, and right. um, it's a couple hundred acres. And 
you know, I hunted it for a few years, but it just, you know, I got tired of driving back all the time to hunt. And so I just was like, I'm just going to hunt all the public that's around me and just, just call it good and then do some traveling and hunt some public in some different States. Yeah. And, uh, I think it was the last year. And this is, this was the reason why actually I kind of made the switch was because there was a deer that I'd watched for two years on that property and I couldn't ever figure him out because he would go, you know, he wasn't nocturnal per se, but he wouldn't come, he wouldn't, I would never see him on our property on trail right. camera until after daylight, right? Okay. And yeah. so I knew he wasn't bedded on our property, but I knew he was bedded close because he was coming through, you know, to like, you know, it's a farm. So there was, you know, there are ag fields yep. around and stuff like that. And right. so he was coming to eat at some point. And I finally yep. figured out where he was bedded on the neighbors. Like I had it kind of narrowed down and I was like, he's got to probably come through this one pinch point. I was like, and I yep. feel like if I can sit this pinch, I was like, this is going to be the spot to kill him. Well, I hunted him in late season whatever, yes. whatever year it was and 104 days in December. Um, okay. and in those four days I had three encounters with him wow. and he was just every time though, he was like, it was on the side of this Ridge. And so like the first yeah. time I saw him, he was, he was low on the Ridge. Yep. And so I was like, you know, and I was like, damn it. So the next day yeah. I went out and hunted him. So I, I made a slight move to the, to, to my setup to get a little bit lower. And then the next day he came up a little high. You know what I mean? And like, and then the yeah. next day he came out just like a completely different area. He was still using the same pinch, but he just, he entered yeah. it differently. And I was, yeah. you know, he was again at just like 50, 60 yards, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. and then the fourth day I didn't see him at all. And right. so the next year I knew I was like, Hmm, I was like, I, I was like, I, I would bet money that his early season kind of pattern or his early right. season approach is probably pretty close to his late season. You know what I mean? I was like, right. I, I just was making a gut guess. And yeah. so, I told my father-in-law, I was like, I'm going to kill that deer opening day, like the first day, yeah. the first evening. Yeah. Got yeah. into the tree, set up. I wasn't in the tree a half hour, and he showed up. Wow. And uh, he just, he was with two other bucks, and one yep. got kind of, he was, like, my wind was fine for him, but there was like a spike that was with him, and he got kind of behind behind me. Yeah. And yeah. Wind was swirling, and that young deer didn't really know what it was, but he didn't like it, you know? Mm. And so he just started kind of backing out and then that, that deer followed him. Right. Well, yep. one of my good buddies, my, my father-in-law's good buddy that he subsequently, you know, one of my best friends now yeah. um, ended up killing the deer during gun season. Oh. And, and I was happy for him. Cause like, if, it's, if it wasn't going to be me, I'd rather I'd right. prefer it be him, you know, yeah. yes. but that was the one that was whenever I stopped hunting like the private pieces. Cause I was like, I knew where that deer was bedded and I could have killed him in late right. season, if I could have just been able to move another hundred yards, you know? Right. And, yeah. and that was really what kind of, you know, pushed me into like the public side and DIY side of things. But I know what you're saying. Cause like I watched that deer, that was a third season. Yeah. You know, and I watched him for three years, you know, and kind of, and knew him well. You had a bit of an attachment to him in some strange way. Yeah. 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 So it did break my heart a little bit whenever he did get killed. Cause I was like, I'll never have another summer trying to glass him up in the field to see if he's, yeah. see if he's around still, you know what I mean? Well, and it matters what blows your skirt up too, because I mean, patterning a deer and becoming local with them like I do now is one thing, but to hunt them helter skelter in the rut, running gun, go, mm -hmm. running and jumping in new pieces, there isn't any, higher challenge level than that. I mean, when you go into new ground in, in public and jumping in there head first and trying to get out of there with a decent deer in a week's time or something, mm -hmm. and you don't have any idea really about what deer are there or any movement patterns. You don't even know what all the people are doing. You know, you can put 
whatever level of challenge you want on bow hunting. It's just like the difference whether you want to hunt with a recurve or a right. nail drive compound, you know. But I'm, right. I'm just saying, I get it. And right now, I'm finally at the stage where I have some things a little bit more my way. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, honestly, it really, for a guy like me that's just done it the hard way all his life and scrapped and clawed to kill him, um, this new wave thing for me of like what we see the uh, Lee and Tiffany's type doing, yeah. which is managing a farm and growing them and killing them. It really, um, I don't want to be little nobody, but this is a kind of a, a sissy, <laughs> unappealing un way of bow hunting to me. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would rather the challenge because, I mean, don't we hunt for satisfaction? Isn't that really, at the end of the day, what, you know, blows our skirt up is the satisfaction of matching wits with them on their own terms? It's 100%. not getting, yeah, getting them hand-groomed, you know, to your farm and getting them patterned and getting them killed is not that satisfying. I can tell you, uh, I'm actually going to start maybe doing what, you know, mentioned earlier about, I may go ahead and break down and start killing a deer early so that I can get back to my roots mm -hmm. and then i've got all of late october and november to run around somewhere and hit some publics in another state and just i've been out of my um element the last three years since i've been on this place i haven't done anything like i used to and mm -hmm. I, I need to I, I don't want to lose touch with my with it's it sounds like you still have a little bit of the fire to have a few excursions maybe not to yeah. the extent that you're used to but i can hear it in your voice eddie like that Absolutely. it's yeah well, I mean, I'd rather go hunt a piece of public in some state like just let's just throw out, say, Nebraska or somewhere, wherever. I mean, I've run to so many different states and hit public. I mean, Ohio, you name it. But anyway, go there, run into some new place, hunt it and kill a 125 or a 30 yeah. versus killing a 160 on my place. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking yeah. of that, do, do you have any hunts planned for this year outside of outside of your piece? I tell you what, you caught me at a weird place and i'm glad i actually got to experience this this year because it's it, it's like you get once you get burned you're not going to go into the fire again right this year committed to not doing much this year because this is the year where we are really putting a lot of time work and money into our place up there to try to get a, a it livable you might mm -hmm. say living quarter we're spending a lot of time building and and doing and i don't have much planned this year um even out west, I cut my western travels way down early. I'm not, I'm not going elk hunting for the first time in 42 years. Wow. Uh, and so I'm, I'm at a historic point. And now that I'm experiencing it, I don't like it. I'm not getting any younger. I've only got so many seasons left. I can't be crapping them off on um, building living quarters. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> rest of your that I'm going to. This is not going to happen again. After this year, I'm going to get back into the saddle and making some trips and doing things out right. west, whitetail wise, to some uh, public places that I, you know that I know about. I try to get into and kill a deer. So, no, this year I don't have a lot planned. Um, I'm just going to kind of stay with what I'm committed to, which is spending my time working. I've got about five thousand dollars worth of stuff out here in the back of my truck right now i gotta haul up to the place tomorrow and get started you know installing stuff and right. uh, hopefully by next summer we're going to be able to live there if we want mm -hmm. and be comfortable there and then uh things are going to change for oled he's kind of going back to where he back to where he came from yeah 
dance with him. How was your elk trip last year? You, you did an elk trip last year? Yeah, I did. Yeah. I had took a year off from really hunting them. I had tried to hunt them the year before, but didn't really, I didn't. I, I honestly didn't. I went to a new area. I was so uninfatuated with it after about two days. Hmm. Never even elk hunting anymore and just hunted whitetails after that in Montana. But yeah, last year I drew a Arizona tag, which everybody knows what that means. Hmm. I mean, that's, you know, yeah. one of the better. And I, I just went to one of their entry level units and um, I wasn't going to wait another six or seven or eight years to get into one of the premium units. I had yeah. done that for the previous two trips and killed my two biggest bulls in my life on those previous Arizona trips. And mm-hmm. I just, you know, when you start getting my age, you realize that light at the end of the tunnel is getting a lot bigger every year. And of course the light is a train that's coming <laughs> right. to run over and kill you, you know? And so I was like, I'm going to Arizona and burn these points and had a decent hunt. It wasn't. Uh, nothing like the premium units. Their top four or five units are exactly that. Um, mm-hmm. And the entry-level units are just more of a – they're really bad people, and they're bad urban elk. They're, mm-hmm. You can't get away from human activity, and the elk are educated. They're more like whitetails, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And so I hunted them you know, last fall and killed a, about a 300-inch type bull. Nice. That's still, still a good bull. I'll, I'll, well, but I mean, for Arizona people in Arizona and people that are big shots in elk hunting, when you talk about going to Arizona and right. killing a three bull, they'll laugh you out. They'll look at you like, <laughs> you know, are, are you out of your mind? I mean, in my previous two elk hunts, I wouldn't even pull a string back on a bull unless he was 350. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And and to go and kill a 300. But I, I was happy with them. I had a good hunt. I killed him at about less than 10 yards. I you know, it was exciting. He was bugling and chasing cows and come right up into me. And mm-hmm. so I'm past that just live and die by the giant antler stage, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I've got a lot of antlers out here that are gathering dust <laughs> and they're giants to kill for, you know. Right. And I just come to realize I can't take them with me. And once I'm gone, somebody's going to buy them and make knife handles out of them. So, <laughs> right. I always you know. joke about that. It's like when I'm gone, I was like, my, my daughter's just going to probably, you know, give them away. Pocket, yeah. <laughs> call, an, call an antler buyer and say, come load these suckers up, you know? Right. Right. But in, hey, I mean, that's all that matters. We live our little space of time. We go to meet the good Lord. And then what happens after that, we're not going to be too concerned about it. We'll be in a better place. You know? Right. Right. What, uh, what week did you uh, kill that bull in Arizona? It was the um, fourth day of season, and I think season opened on the about the twelfth or thirteenth. So it would have been about the end of the second, beginning of the third week. They were rutting real hard, but hmm. out there in one of the entry level units, soon as season starts, it is a freak show of people. The roads are just giant dust clouds, and hour hmm. before daylight every morning, there's dozens and dozens of vehicles flying everywhere and people going and and them elk all of a sudden as of day one they just become super educated and haul butt to their little hidey holes mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so it changes come um first day of season out there in them entry level units because they let out a lot more higher percentage of tags right. in those units yeah and, yeah uh, it's 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 not really the the kind of Arizona elk hunt you hear and read about and dream about. If you if you want that, you better just wait till you get in one of those top premium units, right. or uh, or just go somewhere else because it ain't worth waiting fifteen years like I did. I think I had fourteen points or something to get into one of the entry level units. Wow. Yeah, I'm curious, you know, because I went to, I uh, went and hunted with a buddy last year in Idaho. He he had yeah, just I, moved to Idaho, um, huh? northern Idaho. 
and, them, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, he's from Pennsylvania. Um, and, and, uh, okay. and so when he moved, you know, I told him he was like, he, you know, it'd be his first year elk hunting. Cause the first year he was there, he wasn't there long enough to get a not to get a resident tag. So, cause he, right. he was only there for a couple months cause he moved out there uh, beginning of the summer. And so gotcha. he had to wait like the full other year. Yeah. Um, cool. and so last year, you know, it was the year he could hunt as a resident. And I told him, I promised him, I was like, Hey, I was like, you know, if I can get a tag, I was like, I'll come hunt with you. And he's in an area in the area of Idaho where it's not the most desirable area to hunt in Idaho. You know what I mean? It's quarterly. Yeah. yeah that, it's quarterly area where it's just dark, you know, thick yes. timber and just it's thick, you know, Dung. gnarly yep. stuff and it's super yep. steep. Everything's super steep. Yeah. But I was like, whatever. I was like, I'm game. Let's do it. You know, I'll, you know, let's go hunt some right. public land. We'll pack in, you know, and we'll right. camp on the mountain and we'll have a good time. And that's what we did. And we saw, we, we were in elk every day. Um, All right. But good. I'm curious to know, uh -huh. I, I didn't go mm -hmm. back this year because um, mm -hmm. I was, I'm, I'm, I'm hell bent on trying to kill a deer off the ground in Kansas. And I wanted the full two weeks to go do that. So that's kind of why <laughs> I didn't go back out West this year. I can tell you're narrow between the eyes about that one. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> And, uh, but I'm curious, you know, for you, if you could, uh, if you could just go hunt, you know, for elk one more time, anywhere, uh -huh. anywhere, right. And not, it doesn't necessarily have to be the biggest bulls or whatever, just like right. the best overall right. experience. So that might be the combination of like the scenery, the remoteness and the size of bulls, yeah. like kind of combined. Like if you could only yeah. go one more time, you know, where would you go? Oh boy, that is a tough one. Um, I feathered my nest in southwest new mexico over a period of about a dozen years and it's really dear to my heart and it's it's not rugged country when i hunted it it was ate up with big elk and rutting action and very few people i mean the game and fish has changed things now a lot it's not what it used to be i would say probably the gila country of new mexico is hard to beat uh, um, because you don't have to get yourself out in alpine rugged mm -hmm. uh you know, and there's plenty of elk, good rut action. Um, I will say this, though, it's not what it was 10, 15 years ago. It's went downhill quite a bit. Like, mm -hmm. it's went down 50% or so, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, I got to skim the cream right off the top. I first went there in 88 and hunted it to 2001. Wow. And, and I lived through the heyday of the Gila. And uh, people like me that got to do that, it really takes the air out of your sails to see what the game and fishes have done to the western elk resource mm -hmm. i mean i don't know what we're paying for with them people but it seems that just mainly for them to have a high pollutant budget you know what i mean right because i mean guys like me that really know what the resources can be out there you know ignorance is bliss for the young guys they never saw they don't know what it should be like you know what i mean right but I mean, every Western state I've hunted elk in, bar none, have went considerably downhill on their elk resource in the past 20, 25, 30 years. It's went way down. Uh, I mean, I, right now, uh, I've got to tell you the truth. Public land over-the-counter elk hunting that I cut my teeth on is almost gone. I mean, where yeah. can you go across the counter now? Northern Idaho is one of the few places left, okay? Mm-hmm. Colorado, uh, some of it's left. Um, I'm not even sure where the, the next over-the-counter public land elk resource is available. And when I was elk hunting, 
every single one of the Western states, except for maybe uh, Arizona, mm -hmm. you could go and I used to get leftover tags in Wyoming, leftover tags in Idaho and Montana every year if I wanted them. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, God forgive me for being a negative Nancy, but I'm telling you that the Western elk resource is it's in bad shape as far as public over the counter stuff. Yeah. I mean, now it's like, you really have to like, you know, cause I saw this, you know, um, yes. when I started thinking about, you know, cause I've hunted, I've only hunted Montana and Idaho are the only two States I've ever hunted out West for, for elk. But I knew that I wanted to hunt some other areas. I wanted to hunt some other species. I, I guess I've hunted mule deer out in, in sure. Montana too. And, sure. you know, I started thinking to myself, cause I'm not, I'm not an old fella by any stretch. Right. But I'm also not a young man. I'm 45, you know? And so okay. I started thinking about things kind of how you are, you know, where I'm like, yeah. you know, if I'm, if I'm lucky and I take, I continue to take care of myself, you know, it's like, I might have yeah. another 20 seasons in me, you yeah. know what I mean? To like do the things yeah. I want to do. And like, and I may not be able to do them exactly the way I want to do them in, in 15 more years, you know, right. um, you know, and we'll, and we'll adjust. But I was like, if yes. I want to get back out West, you know, consistently and have some of these experiences, regardless of animal, right. Yeah. That right. I need to start making a plan. So I actually work with a group of people to where I have like, they, you know, put my applications in for me. I build a hunt plan with them, a strategy for like what points I need to get and where, because it's like a full-time job to try to like yeah. understand like how regulations yep. are shifting and what units Absolutely. you can draw for. And, yep. you know, and so, you know, I basically have a hunt plan, you know, to where, you know, I, I basically said, I want to just be able to hunt a, um, adequate representation of the species of the male, right. of, of the male portion of the species. Yep. Like, like it doesn't, need, doesn't need to be a giant or anything like that. Yeah. I just needs to be representative. Yep. And, um, and to do that nowadays, I thought of that the other day. I, I used to could hunt that animal anywhere, anytime. Yeah. And now even me, and I, I would dare say that I might be as well versed an elk hunter as there is walking. I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I, I have lived, breathed, ate and slept elk for 40 some years. You know what I mean? Yep. And, uh, I've been in most every Western state pretty intensely. And I'm telling you, I get to thinking about where I would go now to have a good elk hunt. And it depresses me. I almost have a meltdown. I'm like, all I know, the last three or four times I've tried, it's a freak show. It's mm -hmm. a darn freak show. There's so many people. I don't know what has happened in the past five or 10 years, but the amount of people in the woods Mm -hmm. is ridiculous mm -hmm. yeah. i mean anywhere you go if you you got to go into some claw into some of the most godforsaken hell holes on the earth to get away from them nowadays and uh and then you're so mentally and physically drained to hunt it and try to get an elk out of it you can't hardly enjoy it you know what i mean right right but I, i'm just watching uh the western over-the-counter elk hunt fall off the map um right um Everything number one's turned into a draw. I mean, yeah. even if you, you know, and if you don't draw, uh, the places you go are going to be two or three guys after ever else there. Well, and that's, and that's, yeah, I, I, that's why I ended up working with these, this group of folks, like to, cause I was like, I want to be able to go to a unit that I have like, yep. you know, good experiences. I don't need to go to the best unit, you know, cause I don't want to wait 15 years right. to do it. You know, I was like, no, but, right. you know, I want to be able to go somewhere where, it's going to be a good hunt. You know, I'm going to have mm. a good experience. There's going to be decent bulls, like don't have to be giants. Right. But just good, good bulls and 
have a good experience, you know, and, and so they basically, you know, we sit down and we look at, see, you know, like the species I wanted to go after was, uh, yeah. elk, pronghorn and mule deer. Yeah. Uh, and it was, I think the States were Colorado, Montana, Wyoming, yes. and, uh, there was one other one. It might've been Utah maybe right. was, the, right. was the other one. And I was like, I just, I, w- I want to hunt those four States, those three species. And so basically what they'll yeah. do is. I start accumulating points, and then I, once I start to be, I might be able to draw my first tag next year off of, off right. this system. Good. And then yep. once I draw, it's like I should be able to draw a, a species in a state every year yep. after that because I'll just kind of yep. like, and I won't know exactly what species or state I'll be in, but I know I'll be going west for something that year. You know, well, so like already, got some real good units for five six points mm-hmm. that. You can have a good elk hunt in because it, there's a limited amount of people they're going to let in there on that hunt, you yep. know. And you're not going to hunt trophy bulls, but you're going to have a good elk hunt. So it's not that, but I mean, once again, you're still talking about a limited draw unit that yep. takes five six years to get in. Yep. And that hunt, that hunt, as of 15 years ago, that hunt was available across the counter in every western state every year now think mm-hmm. about the change mm-hmm. yeah so i mean i i used to pick up leftover bow tags in wyoming in the middle of wyoming's elk season now do your research and see what the very limitedest i mean unlimitedest which is a type nine elk tag in wyoming now i mean you can't find one for less than about six or seven points mm-hmm. yeah oh no, and they were leftovers 10, well, yeah 12 I mean, when I went to Montana, I guess it was that first hunt in Montana, I think it was six years ago. Yeah, that's about what, six years ago, yeah. And uh, and that one, I had, I just was, I just put in to buy, I just bought a tag. I bought a, a, a triple tag. I bought one, it was a yes. mule deer, elk, and whitetail tag. And the combo. Yeah, I bought the combo, combo tag. And I, it wasn't like I had points. It wasn't a lottery. It was just like, I felt like it was over the counter because I was just like, my buddy lives out there. And yeah. me and my cousin and our other friend were like, Hey, we'll come out and hunt with you this year. They, they, my buddy and my cousin usually went out every year. And, yeah. um, and so I just bought a tag, you know, and, yeah. and, and went, and that yeah. was in the, I don't remember what unit was, but it was around the Dillon, the Dillon area, yeah. the Bob. Yeah, there's probably half or three fourths of the state up there. It's a general tag. You could hunt it in about anywhere you wanted up there. Mm-hmm. And six years ago about, that's about when I last killed a bull in Montana and I, I had killed a bull in Idaho, drove over there and had about five days to hunt and went to Game and Fish and bought my tag across the counter. Now, that's just six years ago. And right. I mean, now to get that combo tag, you might you might actually miss not getting it or miss getting it for oh. maybe two years. Ago. Oh, yeah, because last year my cousin didn't get to go. He put right. in. He, he didn't get a t- he didn't get a tag last yeah. year. You know? Yeah. Oh, it, it's changing fast. And I'm telling you. Um, I don't know how it does it, but game and fish, you know, we hire these guys to manage a hunting resource and keep it at a good quality level. But I, I don't know if that's the exact priority anymore that goes on with them. And I, and right. I don't know, I'm just, I don't want to go there cause I don't want to get into all of that, but it's like any government agency. Yeah. Need yeah. I any, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm, if we blowed it all up and restructured it and started over and made it a uh, uh, where you voted on everybody that was in there, it might be a little bit different right. outcome yeah. for us. Anyway, neither here nor there. 
I'm uh, I'm curious because there's one spot, I mean, a place I would like to go. I think a lot of people would like to go, but I'm curious. I'm sure you've probably hunted it before, but it's like, I, I really want to hunt the, uh, the breaks. And I'm curious yeah. if, you, if you've been there and what, and what I've never spoke to anybody who's actually hunted the breaks. Okay. Well, you remember me just mentioning here a little bit ago, I went somewhere and was so disenchanted with it that I just walked away after two days and didn't even hunt. Yeah. That was the breaks. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Let me qualify that. I'm a mountain elk hunter. Always have been, always will be. That's just what's in my blood. I don't get any whiz out of that kind of habitat out there. Hmm. Uh, now, other than that, if the habitat doesn't give you a wedgie, then go for it because, I mean, it's more moderate terrain. It's a lot lower elevation, mm-hmm. a lot better access to most of it. And it's got elk, plenty of elk. I mean, um, I just could not get enthused about hmm. that desolate, barren, dirty, rocky, uh, badlands country. Do you hmm. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So don't, don't uh, take it that just because I hated the experience that it's not a good place to go elk hunting. They kill some giants out in that country. And I was on a limited, well, they're all limited. They're all limited. Now I was in one of the, what was supposedly the better units. And, uh, I didn't care because I was there for a week scouting. And then by the time season had gone two days, I was mentally beat down and dreading, you know, yeah. I mean, you, when you run around on them breaks roads for yeah. about a week, You'll just shoot yourself. <laughs> I mean, to death, you better take extra everything. You better pray to God that it doesn't rain, right? Right. Because you can't even get around if it rains. You can get out there 30 miles and then breaks, and it come a big old honking rain, and you're stranded for days. Yeah. So that country has got its own uniqueness, and it's difficult. It's hard tack in its own way. It's not to put your feet on it's not real hard i mean you can't hardly find 500 to 1000 foot up and down in it you know what i mean right uh, and it's moderate and uh you'll get to see some pretty weird stuff out there you can see some of the biggest you know bighorn sheep rams in the world maybe and mm-hmm. uh there's whitetail right in the middle of it there's mule deer right in the middle of it antelope right in the middle of it it's it's unique country but it's not my cup of tea i just like the mountains and when i had spent about 10 days out there i realized um, I've got to get the heck out of this uh, barren, nasty rattlesnake and, and go back to the mountains. Right. <laughs> yeah, because I'm torn between there and uh, 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 well, my buddy that I hunted with around Dylan, um, he, yeah. he lived in that area. Now he lives in uh, oh, he lived he actually had a place in in both places because he actually went to school I think right. around Dylan. He had a place there. But okay. he he worked in a Lincoln, and that's where what? he like lives now. And so it's like I would be torn between going there or going up around like the Lincoln area where he lives. Absolutely. Well, if I was you, I'd go to the breaks once and see what I thought of them because you know you might. There's a lot of people that swear by them, and as far as some big bulls go, they kill some bruisers out of that country. Now it's very unorthodox elk hunting. Some of it, some of these guys that are killing them big bulls are doing it down in that Missouri River bottom and them willow thickets and stuff. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah setting tree stands it's weird stuff it's not the kind of elk hunting i cut my teeth on at all uh, those elk can be very educated out there if you don't get back into some of the most remote parts of the breaks the parts mm. where you literally have to backpack back into them you know yep then those elk can be like whitetails they those elk are notorious for being able to tell you what kind of bugle you're blowing hmm. um 
And as soon as it cracks daylight, they're hauling butt for a canyon a long ways away, and they shut their mouths up, you know. Right. And uh, but I mean, if it's if it's your cup of tea, uh, the brakes can be great. But problem nowadays with the brakes is you're not going to get a tag in them. But ever, yeah, you know, who knows, two to five years or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what yeah. I was. Uh, that's what I was kind of figuring. You know, now over there where you're talking about the other place, I think that's still a general tag. Uh, yeah, it might, it might be. Um, I don't know though. Cause my buddy, that's what, that, that was the tag that they were trying to get and they didn't get it last year. Well, I don't that's know. If, the, I don't think they the got it this year either. Tag, you might not draw it every year, but the combo tag covers the general units. Hmm. Uh, and so you can hunt like two thirds, three fourths of the state on your, on your combo tag. Right. So, yeah, and the combo tags, as of about two or three years ago in Montana, maybe three or four years ago, somewhere in that range, they finally got to the point you will not draw one every year. Right, right. So, yep. Yeah, I might have to try to head back out there next year. That's uh, well, that's the plan. The head, the, the plan is this was my last year of not going, yep. not going west. From this point there. forward, there should be a western trip in my uh, in my plans what? every every fall. But uh. Man, I'm curious. I wanted to. I wanted to ask you this too, because like uh, I asked you about the elk one, but like, yeah. So say you could only hunt one more spot, one more right. place for for, mm. you know, whitetails. And again, same kind of scenario to where it's, you know, it's the combination of like the type of experience you want to have. Doesn't have to be the biggest antlered whitetails, whatever the case is. Like, where is the one spot? Like of all the traveling and hunting you've done for whitetails, where is the one place that you would, you know if you could only go one more time, where's the place you would go back to? Well, I don't know if you're asking that from the perspective of what I experienced at it or what I, what it is today. I mean, if I, if I could choose anywhere I've ever whitetail hunted and the experiences I had for about two or three years in it, it would be Eastern Colorado. Hmm. I, I have never experienced anything in the whitetail hunting world like what I had out in Eastern Colorado. Uh, it was just, the whole nine yards it was big bucks lots of bucks tremendous rutting action no people uh high plains habitat which i enjoy um western whitetails which aren't as educated as eastern whitetails you know what i mean yep and it was the whole nine yards now i i, I don't think that resource is still like it was when i experienced it because it was in the 90s when i hunted it and it was just not on the hunting world's map, you right, know? Right, right. I think it's probably not as good now. But now that would be the place I would choose as the number one place. If I could get that whitetail resource back right there that I had for about four years, I would be the happiest person on the planet, case closed. Where would I go right now? Yeah. Um, okay. Um, we're talking public, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you, it's kind of weird because there are so many public places through the Midwest that I'm sure, I mean, I know some in Kansas that are good. Um, but honestly, I, I love, if I was going, going public on whitetails, I think I'd go out West. I'd go to like Montana because the experience is much better to me than Eastern or Midwestern public lands. You're fighting with too many people and mm -hmm. it's a freak show. I just, you can, you can still get on public land out West, like in Montana and stuff for whitetails that you can have a quality outing. I'm talking a really well-rounded, healthy, feel-good experience. And maybe you're not going to see the biggest bucks in the world, but big enough probably to suit most bow hunters, you know? Yeah. 
and yeah, that's, lots of them. That's that's interesting because like I've that's what some of my buddies that live out there say. You know, like it, well, especially any of my friends that have moved from the Midwest or the East Coast and right. have gone out, they're like, man, they're like right. locals don't hunt deer. <laughs> no, and they don't hunt whitetails that hard for sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's they were saying they're like they, they treat them almost like how we I, look at like groundhogs. Vermins. Yeah, yeah, whitetails are vermin. Uh, mule deer are king. Uh, and yes, I'm telling you. I mean, I'm actually going back to Montana, and I'm gonna make it a yearly trip if I can get the tag. Because, it, I mean, your your buck tag in Montana is not a guaranteed tag every year. You either got to get it through that combo license or through the uh, deer-only tag. And both mm-hmm. of them are drawing. You know what I mean? You can't right. be guaranteed. But I'm going to start doing that every year because I have a quality experience. Me and the wife can camp and have peace and quiet and yep. see, see dozens and dozens of deer. We can drive roads and glass hundreds of deer. Um I don't see great big bucks. I'll mm-hmm. be the first to tell you. I just don't see really large antler because each D kills them deer bad out there real often, you know? Okay. Yeah. And then also their gun season is as liberal as it gets. It's right during the rut. It lasts for weeks and weeks hmm. and they slaughter those deer during gun season. And there's not a real good upper age class of whitetails in a lot of Montana. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you wanted to head to western Montana in the mountains, you might run into a monster whitetail, but you're, it's a totally different hunt than the eastern half of the state. You yeah, because I've got some buddies in Idaho that kill like giant whitetails. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. it's, and it's crazy. I mean, just yeah. the size of those, you know, and again, like not yeah. a lot of people are hunting them. And they're, you know, this right. is actually northern Idaho. It's just rugged. Yeah. And so if you're going to, you know, I understood why because when I went out there to elk hunt, I was like, "Man, you'd be crazy to scale all this to hunt a whitetail." You exactly. Know, you know, and it's I hunted Idaho for whitetails, and I bear hunted it for about eight years. And I was up in the Panhandle in the country you're talking about, mm-hmm. and man, there are some giants in there. But God, that is a woolly booger that's not for everybody. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? Yeah. Been there, right? Yeah, and, yeah. I saw and, the biggest. I saw the biggest rub, yeah. and the biggest scrape. I've ever Great, seen yeah. in my life, like yeah. whitetail scrape. Cause like I walked up on it, I laid my bow in it and it was yeah. like, I mean, there was Got a foot it. on every side of my bow, like was how yeah. big that scrape was. And then the tree that was rubbed was like as big around as my thigh. And yeah. it was rubbed like raw all the way up to my neck. I don't doubt it. Let me tell you something too, that you don't know about. Probably I do know about this. This is factual. I'm going to make some enemies here probably with some game and fish people, but I don't care. I'm tired of being politically correct. I'll just, I'm going to tell the truth. If you would have known what Idaho had 30 years ago, you would have fell over dead on the spot. 30 years ago, Idaho was covered up with the most giant whitetails, giant mule deer, giant elk, Idaho was probably one of the most top destinations in the entire West for every species. It's right at the bottom of the barrel right now. That's how, how much it's mm-hmm. degressed. Mm-hmm. What's the, uh, like what, 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 I mean, in your opinion, what do you think caused it? Way more hunting pressure, way more. They have unlimited resident hunting hmm. and the population of Idaho it's probably doubled or tripled in the last 30 years. Now, add up. Think about this. If 30 years ago, let's just say there was, I don't know what, maybe 300,000 people hunting in Idaho. Right. And now there's a million. Right. Expect yeah. a result of that to be. Yeah. Yeah. And they sell the tags as fast as they can print them out. Yeah. 
Yeah, man, it's 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 crazy how I mean, especially getting a chance, you know, talking to someone yeah. who's seen it before now. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. It's like well, to your point, well, it's like a lot of people. I don't think you know know how good it was. Yeah, yeah, and I hear that about a lot of places. You know what I mean? Just in general, oh, like yeah. you think about whitetails, it's like you hear people talk about the heyday of uh, oh. Il- Illinois. You know what I mean? Yeah, Where I, Pike County. County in the nineties, buddy. Yeah. Eight years in a row, I was up there through the 90s before you ever even knew Pike County existed. And and I'm telling you, I got to skim the cream off the top. I hit the very best tequila had to offer. I've been in Idaho. Uh, I remember 25 years ago, a friend of mine knew a crop duster that sprayed those fields in northern Idaho. And he told me on his average evening of spraying those fields, he would see between 10 and 15 bucks that would probably make Boone and Crockett. Man. Dang. They were there. They were there. I hunted a place in Idaho five years ago that it was all I could do to get my eyes on a 300-inch bull that 20 years earlier had 400-inch bulls running around in it, and people wouldn't even think about bow hunting a bull under 320. Jeez. That's how bad things have gotten out west on the western resources. And until them game and fishes do something different, it's just going to keep going down the crapper. I'm telling you, it's headed for oblivion because they will not govern their own resident people. They're going to have to start limiting the resident pressure in their states. Yeah. Yeah, it's a... Man, I I would would have loved to have been able to see some of these places in their their heyday. It would really though now though it messes you up it really does yeah i have nightmares over it right nightmares. i uh, i put in every year for my pennsylvania elk tag you know, hoping maybe one one day in my lifetime i'll get to draw it yeah yeah that would be uh, yeah that'd be unreal pa's got some giants get your kentucky permit down there uh they're yeah, they, really great with their elk yeah they got some big ones down there too Dude, for sure never Loading in population too but of course it's still a lottery type scenario to get a tag but yeah yeah and i've actually talked to like the pa game uh, commission before about about elk because i was just curious you know they're, yeah. they're really kind of relegated to one zone you know and right. i and i had just asked if uh if they're ever intended to you know try to expand it because it's basically just in western pa and the right. and around the allegheny mountains which is like the biggest uh, i th- i don't quote me on this but i think if it's not the biggest it's it's almost the biggest kind of um, wilderness area we have in, in Pennsylvania. But in the Poconos, you know, if you get on the Eastern side, like there's, there's a lot of kind of remote areas there. So I was just curious if they would ever, you know, bring a herd or try to develop a herd in the East. And they said basically they had talked about it at one point, they had discussed it, but there's just too much population in the East for like car collisions and and things of that nature where it just wouldn't be possible that that where they are now is about, the only place they could ever have them essentially here. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell you something. A lot of that mentality goes on really strongly out West because a lot of the game and fishes out West are run by people that are ranchers at mm-hmm. heart. And their mentality toward things is a lot different than the, the guy like you or I. I mean, we yeah. want to resource manage for maximum hunting enjoyment. And a lot of times a rancher you know, them elk eat that grass that their cattle are eating, you yeah. know, 
and then they come down there and eat in their fields and they don't like it. And uh, it's a kind of a complex thing to manage all the different special interest groups and mm-hmm. try to make everybody happy. I, I'm sure it's a nightmare for game and fish. I'm sure it is. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And like, and I've been reading more about, you know, there's a, you know, it seems like the brown bears also are kind of expanding their territory from places where they yeah. you know used to never really, you know, ever be. They're now kind of expanding beyond that, you know, the yeah. regions that they're kind of known to be in now. Yep. Yeah, I've been around them. Are you talking about grizzlies? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're coming out into the plains of eastern Montana and places now and everywhere. I, I hunt some of the most grizzly-infested places, like up in northwest Wyoming and places. And, and they're, they're, what's going on with that right there is a disgrace because those bears aren't scared of people. They haven't ever been hunted. They don't, they're not scared of you. That's why they will att- jump on you you know what yeah, i mean yeah just a little bit of hunting pressure on them bears would hurt nothing they're over carrying capacity of the land really in some areas they're probably well over that natural carrying capacity you know mm-hmm. i mean i saw 14 grizzlies in two weeks one time elk hunting sure. in wyoming and you shouldn't see a grizzly ever blue moon you know what i mean i right. mean yeah they're rare and they're very secretive, but no, not when they don't mind getting right out in front of you and walking across the highway. And right, um, you know, and plus, hunted since. Yeah, and, and those yeah. things are real life monsters, man. Like the boogeyman is real, and it's a grizzly bear in my book. Exactly. <laughs> I got set in a tree at ten yards from one one day. Watched him eat my elk carcass. I, I, I snuck in there and was looking for a black bear, and I saw something run off, and I thought, well, I bet that was a big old black bear. I climbed up in this. 45 degree deadfall and sat there and comes back and to beat all it was a giant male fully mature grizzly and i'm sitting there in that tree at 10 yards watching that thing crunching around on my elk and you talk about a weird experience now that thing looked like a volkswagen with legs right (laughs) on it that i couldn't have bear hugged around it it was like claws, giant. I was like, holy cow, this is a one-in-a-lifetime experience right here, you know? Right. What uh, what were you thinking when you were sitting in that tree watching that bear? I mean, I, 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 better, I better not say, but anyway, I had a bow in my hand, and I was fantasizing about how 100% dead that bear could be if I – you know what I'm saying? Right, you know? yeah. But, but, you know, I mean, sheesh. Can you imagine? I mean, they'd put you on the 6 o'clock news for something like that. Yeah. I mean – so anyway, I just sat there and watched him and thought, wow, I could have blow killed a giant mature male that I'm pretty sure I'm betting you was literally big enough to potentially make the boon and crock. Right. Uh, right. He was a monstrous old bear. He had a giant six inch scar across his face. His muzzle was six inches in diameter. I mean, this Jeez. was an old big male. And I was like, wow, people would you know, pay a lot of money to go to Alaska or, yeah. and have a chance to, you know, bow kill a bear like this right here. That's my, uh, that's my bucket list hunt is, uh, yeah. uh, Alaska brown bear with a bow. Oh, wow. <laughs> man. Yeah. Oh, well, that's, uh, yeah, yeah. but my <laughs> wife told, my wife told me I'm not allowed to do that until, until we're at a point where we're at an age where it's okay if I make, meet my maker. <laughs> exactly. That's a good theory right there. Yeah. <laughs> It's done by halfway done with you, then you can go get yourself killed. Right, right. But yeah. now my buddy, he, uh, I think it, it was either last year or the year before, he killed a he put he killed a big old brown bear in Alaska with a stick bow. Wow. Oh, with a stick bow, that 
Now that's elevating it to top end level. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, boy, I was like, I bet you could have made some coal that day, couldn't you? Or you could have made some diamonds uh, that day, couldn't you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, we all got our bow hunting fantasies, and I've got to live a few of mine, not a lot of them. I mean, the Alaskan game was always a fantasy, most of it to me. And I didn't, I did get tiny caribou and kill a nice caribou. And I hunted dolls one time, didn't mm-hmm. get it done, but. Anyway, yeah, those big old bears like that are the ultimate North American um, pinnacle predator to hunt yeah. with a bow. Yeah, it's crazy. I'm I'm curious, man, how uh, like you know, as you're kind of like, you know, like mm-hmm. you like you were saying, like your your yeah, like your mindset is kind of changing, like toward hunting a little bit in terms of like what it is you want to want out of it and how you think about it a little bit and stuff like that. And I'm just curious if at the same time, if like any of your strategies have changed, like, well, they have, I mean, I, I literally was pretty narrow minded my scope on whitetails for about 30, 40 years. I I feathered my nest by just being a rut hunter. Mm -hmm. I never really tried to become an early season hunter like Tony, you know, I just, I had to work like a dog all year and I usually had to work right up until late October, early November before I could get off work and go hunt. So Mm -hmm. I never really had the time to become an early season hunter. And as far as my tactics changing, yeah, they are because now I don't care that much about hunting the rut. I I like it. It's fun because the activity of all the deer and the bucks, what they're doing, I like that, but it's not necessarily the most productive i think tony's on to a lot there i mean i I think i could kill a good buck off my place every year early if i wanted right Mm -hmm. now why i don't it's probably because you could say i am not the sharpest tool in the shed i I, i'm not but that don't matter it's it's what i like and i don't really want to do that i may change my mind here five years from now when i turn 70 i may start looking at a killing a september 15th buck right Right. you know but my tactic and I like to just go out all season, even into the late season, but I, I don't hit it as hard as I used to, even in December. I will pick my days and choose them, and mm-hmm. other days I'll be sitting there watching the sun coming up, drinking coffee, you know what I mean? Yep. But I still like to hunt um, all season, but my tactics have changed as far as I used to literally be so hardcore. I would like to know if there was anybody that ever hunted any harder than I did because I I've had years where between October 1 and November or December 31, I would hunt like that 100 days, the whole the whole 90 some days is what it was. Because I have diaries. I kept diaries. Huh. Uh, I, I wrote them in the stand while I was hunting. And I've got diaries where I hunted from October 1 to December 31. And during those, whatever it was, 90, 30 days, anyway, 90 one or two or three days, whatever that was, I never missed but three days of hunting with my bow during that whole 90 some days. Wow. And out of those 90 some days and only missing a couple, 60% of them were from, I'd get in my stand before shooting light and get down at last shooting light. I tried that on precise picture hunting about 45 days setting in a tree, basically 12 or 13 hours all day every day yeah that's that's cool that's hardcore yeah that's changed now i hunt usually two or three or four hours go eat lunch watch some football mm-hmm. drink a glass of iced tea goose wife uh, pet the dog go back out in the evening 
it's more about fun. It's yep. more about enjoyment. It's more about smelling the roses. That's how mm-hmm. my tactics change. Nice. Yeah, I mean those those diaries. You should mm-hmm. make a you should make a DIY hunter's memoir out of those. I know. I know. I've got some diaries that's been in my uh, uh, chest of drawers over here for oh lord, it would have been eighty eight through about ninety two of those type of years where I set or I went. 99% of every day the season was open in my state of Oklahoma. Wow. Uh, and, and 50 to 60% of those days were dark to dark sets. Hmm. I mean, I put in thousands of hours in them falls. And uh, I, I could go back and tell you, I wrote down every deer I saw. I wrote down every direction it came from, what it was doing, and why I thought it was doing it. Hmm. Do you, how much do you, cause, so this is interesting cause mm-hmm. you hunt, you know, all those years harder than anybody I've probably ever talked to, you know? Okay. And, um, you know, and, and I, I probably should have just, you know, assumed that you journal cause that was one of the things I started doing several years ago and it, it's changed, it changed a lot of things for me when I started journaling. Right. But I'm curious to think like, as you think back on it. Right. Uh-huh. Like, and, you know, and I know that you hunt, hunted hard, but right. how much do you think journaling helped your hunting that maybe now that you look back on that? Yeah, you were running hard, uh-huh. but you were actually running a lot smarter than you thought you were at the oh, time. No doubt. I mean, I'm telling you back in those days, I mean, I literally didn't know a whole lot. Um, I learned a whole lot from being out there. You know how we were earlier in the beginning talking about being out there as much as you can yeah um the journaling just recorded it i was logging it in my mind i was becoming a savvy whitetail hunter through those years and i literally contribute my success to about a six-year zone back there from about hmm. oh, mid-80s to early 90s where i hunted that way like that i watched every deer in the world around me come and go all day every day from every phase of the season from October one till the end of December. And I, I learned there's no game biologist ever spent more time out there than I have. Uh, I got to where I learned to hunt what I call by feel. I just, it's, I don't even mention it to most people cause it sounds corny and it sounds weird, but I hunt by feel anymore. I know what's going on and I go look at something. I go look at a scenario, a piece of habitat and I will get a feel for what to do. And, you know, I don't guess anymore because I can pretty well um, know what this is going on by a little bit of scouting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And and so I, what I do is I just hunt by feel. And a lot of things I do is totally off the wall. I set in places and, and ambush deer in places because I get a thrill out of taking it to that next level. I don't just go hunt the standard hot spots anymore. I stay yeah. out of them really. I go hunt the fringes. I, that's where the big boys live anyway. They live out on the fringe. They don't spend a lot of time down in the in them core areas where all the deer are, mm-hmm. you know. And so I, I just kind of learned way back there a lot of weird, um, you might call fringe tactics and fringe approaches and I got into that way back in the 90s, and I never got away from it. I, I've killed a lot of the better deer I've killed where no human would have ever even bow hunted. They, they just thought, I mean, I've killed them in square miles of Kansas Prairie, 
that didn't have five acres of deer cover in that whole hundred six hundred forty mm-hmm. acres. Yeah, I mean, I've went out there and sat in bushes almost on the ground. I've climbed up in cottonwoods that didn't have another tree you could see to the horizon in any direction. And I mean, I, I enjoy doing weirdo stuff. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't want to just kill those one. This may sound weird, but I didn't want to just kill those one forties. I wanted to see some of the big boys. Yeah, and your word, those words ring true to me every time. I go to Kansas. I think about the first conversation you and I had and and you telling me about that because those are the places that I kind of looked for like that big deer I was telling you about earlier. Like there's, there wasn't squat for cover that was around there. Right. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't anything that would suggest to anybody that like, yeah, that's where the deer are going to want to be. You know, it's like, but I observed it. And so then I knew it was true. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, that's just it. I, I had been told that by ranchers and different people in Kansas for years, and it just went in one ear and out the other until I started figuring it out on my own because there is no better teacher than learning it on your own. And, and I mean, I used to walk that prairie. Some days I'd go walk that prairie for 10 hours nonstop. I'd, I'd literally walk between 15 and 18 miles. Now, think of that, you know, yeah. scouting. Mm-hmm. And I'd, I'd beat them little fingers down and go out into the prairie three miles away from the nearest creek bottom and or the tiniest little finger would end out there. And, and I would jump those bucks out of those places out there. I've jumped bucks that were between 170 and 200 that were bedded out in that blue stem grass where there was not anything that resembled deer cover for a mile in any direction. It was like they live by their eyes. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, they lay up on prairie grass hills and they can see for half a mile in every direction. Yeah, that's the biggest thing that I had to kind of get used to hunting the hunting those just the, the prairie land. Yeah. That yeah. was that was the biggest change for me. And yeah. actually, this year, I'm actually going to do a lot more decoying this year than I've done in well, the past. It'll work out in that prairie. You get one of them big old bucks out there that's got them a hot doe or something, and you can intimidate them a little, you know. Yeah. Or, yeah, I'm telling you, but it takes a different breed to go out there and do that because you don't see very many deer and you're not down there in those hot spots where the deer are, you know, running around and doing a lot of hot stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, the first year I did take a decoy, uh, my buddy and I did, but it was just, it, it wasn't the, I think, you know, Jared Scheffler from, uh, I, I think you, yeah, I think yeah. you guys were on a podcast together, I think at one point, right? Yeah, I yeah. think so. Yeah, that's who I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah, he hunts with a he's killed a giant with a with a, a stick bow. Uh, oh, in, in, the, in the yeah. past on the on the ground at like five yards or yeah. I think that one was at five <laughs> yards. But yeah. uh, he uses like this big shield that he makes that actually like uses a taxidermy head, so it yes. looks like a, a deer. You know what I mean? Like, a, and they'll hide behind it and kind of like creep up on them and 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 try to sneak yeah. on them. And uh, uh-huh. and we were my buddy Chad and I were using one of those the first year we went out and we had a buck that was bedded in this draw and we watched him and he went into this draw and we knew he bedded down. And so we kind of crept in on him and we had that decoy up and we were, you know, rattling sequences and stuff like that. And trying to long story short was we could never get him to come out. And we thought he just slipped out, slipped us on the backside of that draw and came out and we walked in and sure enough, like we thought we knew where he was bedded and sure enough, like we walked into that draw just to kind of investigate. And uh, we kicked, he let us get within about, I don't know what it was about 20 yards and jumped up and he was bedded exactly where we thought it was bedded. And yeah. the reason being is like he had a visual advantage there. And so it, last yes. year I didn't use a decoy this year. I kind of, um, 
there's a fellow by the name if I don't know if you ever get on YouTube ever, but if you ever do, there's a guy by the name of Travis Glassman. And uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, he uh I've had him on and we, we exchanged some text messages and stuff. Travis is a great guy. Yes. And, and uh and he kills hammer bucks using a decoy, but he, he and the way he decoys is a little bit different. So I actually made right. a decoy exactly right. like his to yes. use and now I'm 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 fired up to get back out to Kansas to to, to try my luck okay. with this decoy. Well, listen, man, if you're coming this fall and you're going to be in the prairie, any, then it's safe to say you're not probably going to be too far from me because I'm, I'm smack dab in the Flint Hills, you know, right yep. through the prairie. And uh, give me a shout and we'll meet up and uh, you come down to my place. I, I mean, you can hunt a day or two or three if you want. I, I know you've got an agenda and I'm not trying to steer you from it, but yeah. you're always welcome to come to my place and uh, I will... Uh, I'll, we'll feed you and entertain you a little bit. Oh man, I I, I would love that, buddy. I uh I, I would love to meet up with you in person and, and do some hanging okay. and, p- and pick your brain some more. But speaking of that, I've held yeah. you here for I've held you hostage for about an hour and a half. So well, I want to be sensitive to your time and uh, and and let you get on with your evening. But man, I appreciate you coming on. It's always a blast talking to you. I always learn a ton. And uh, yeah. you're one of the good guys, man. I'm just glad you know. I'll, I'll I'll keep you around for as many years as we can keep you around. How's that? Well, that's fine. And listen, you said something right there that means everything to me, and I'll, I'll leave it at that. And that's this. I just want to have a legacy of being a good old guy, a blue-collar guy that did it the, the average way and, and tried to be a good human while I was doing it. And other than that, I don't have any goals. Uh, yeah. So thanks for saying that, uh, that you think I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, no, if, uh, 100%, man. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're kind of my inspiration as far as like the, what I would like to you know, do in my, in my hunting life. So I appreciate it. Okay, thanks, man. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, we need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, and Genesee Beer. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do hard shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.